The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Let's pray together, ask the Lord for help as we come to his word. Father, thank you for being a speaking God, and we thank you that Every day, every moment you're speaking, your creation speaks to us of your grandeur. Um, Your word is always speaking to us anytime we encounter its truth. Your spirit speaking to us even here today. And we thank you for the greatest word of all that you've spoken, the word about your son, the Lord Jesus. And we're so thankful that we get to come and hear his voice and see him act and work And Lord, we pray that as we encounter your word even now today, your Holy Spirit would work in us richly. I pray for each one of our minds, our hearts, that the eyes of our hearts would be opened and lightened to see more of the glory of who Jesus is, that we would see how the truth of this text uh, is meant for us, that we'd be drawn in to believe and to trust you the one who has power over sickness and death. We thank you, God, for your goodness now, and we look forward to what you'll say. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was, I was honored to facilitate a memorial service this week, and I was freshly reminded of the sober reality of sickness and death. You know, on a normal day, we can kind of forget those things and That's not always bad, right? You don't want to live in continual dread. But we don't want to be naive either. And a lot of times we kind of live like we're immortal. And and I know some of you are tasting this right now. We know sickness and death are a dreadful part of life in this world. No one gets out of life alive, as they say. So, so what are you to do in the face of those realities? You know, when you're young and healthy, you can kind of distract yourself from thinking about it at all. And I think part of even our modern culture, we just want to pretend like we're forever young, immortal. It's not true. At some point, right, and some of you are tasting this right now, at some point, in someone we love, in our own experience, a kind of sickness and death will come for us, and there will be nothing we can do about it. We're going to lose these things that we treasure, our youth, our health, our vitality, our relationship. It's coming, right? What do we do? Well, sickness and death are going to come for us, but thankfully, Jesus has come for us as well. We're continuing our study through the Gospel of Mark. Just remember some basics. Mark was an associate of the Apostle Peter, so... We know that Peter was a close friend, eyewitness of the life of Jesus. So Mark wrote this gospel from Peter's accounts. It's written just 30 years or so after Jesus' life. That's an amazing thing to realize because then you you have to see this cannot be myth or legend. It's too early. It cannot be myth or legend. No, it's a claim of actual history. But it's not only a claim of history. this kind, this genre of communication called a gospel, it is a claim of history. It's also an invitation to you, to me, to all who encounter it. It's an invitation to see and believe. 
So Mark's after three things. We've looked at this many times. What are, the, what are the three things Mark wants us to know? Number one, these are the three questions he's asking. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He tells us at the beginning, and then he shows us. Who is Jesus? Number two, why did he come? What did he come to do? We see that text after text, week after week. Number three, how should we respond to him? So as we encounter this even today, we, gotta, we wanna look again, see from a fresh angle, who is Jesus, especially in the backdrop, the dark backdrop of sin and death? Who is Jesus? What did he come to do? How should you, how should I respond to him even right now? Before we dive into this story, though, let's step back for a moment. Just remember a little of where we've been the last few weeks. Recall, re- recall some of these themes, because there's this, there's this theme of fear kind of flowing through our last few stories. You remember the end of Mark 4, right? Jesus, after the longest day ever, gets in a boat with his disciples. They head across the Sea of Galilee, and a storm just rips through, right? And this must have been quite the storm because seasoned fishermen are terrified that they're gonna drown. They're afraid. Jesus wakes up from a nap, says, be still. The storm stops. What was the disciples' response? Do you remember? They sang praise to Jesus. No, they were more afraid. They were more terrified. And they asked the question, who is this man? Beginning of Mark 5, they cross that sea. A demon-possessed man rages towards them. He can't be tied. He can't be chained. The local community is terrified of that man. And yet the demons in that man are terrified of Jesus. Jesus heals and restores this man. The community is even more afraid They ask him to leave. We saw that last week. We we faced two more fears in our text this morning. I mean, and what a fear. What a fear. A father is terrified that his young daughter is going to die. I don't even want to think about that. It's a terrible, terrible fear. And not only that, a woman is ravaged with a horrible sickness. She's afraid it will never end. She's done everything she can, and nothing works. But look at this lineup. Do you see, just in two chapters... It's like all our greatest fears, all our, all our greatest enemies, they all lined up. What do we have? The chaos of the natural world. What do we have? Evil forces corrupting, controlling, ruining. What do we have? Sickness and death. Isn't that kind of the, that's the lineup, right? Of things to be afraid of. And Jesus comes and faces them all down in each story. And and strangely, he ends up being the scariest one of all. Who is this who has authority over these great unstoppable powers? And you think, I mean, you just think, what is the text showing us about fear here? We have so many fears, and we should, many enemies in this life. And yet, in a way, at least at first, the scariest thing that could be, was be that, would be that the Holy Son of God would come and look you in the eye, and you would be seen by him and known by him. So this morning, we see a portrait of Jesus against a backdrop of sin and death. So we're going to walk through, we'll put it into like four scenes just trying to imagine what's going on, pick up some lessons from each, and then our, our, our fifth point, if you will, would just be thinking about how to respond. 
So four scenes and then how to respond. Scene one. If you're following along in your Bibles, Church Bibles, page 840. Scene one, Mark 5, verses 21 to 24. Uh, we see Jesus' disciples coming back across the sea. They're back in the area. And just like the last several chapters, wherever Jesus is, the crowd is. And it's no different here. Ever since Jesus touched that leper and healed him, the crowd has been overwhelming. Remember, he can't even eat. Certain people can't even get to him. He's always swamped. And so just a by the way, you realize, for Mark to write this 30, 35 years after the event, you realize he could, he could never hope to claim this and have this claim last at all if it wasn't true. It just wouldn't work. He's claiming crowds, massive crowds all the time. If everybody was like, no, that never happened. There were never massive crowds. He, he could not claim this. It, it wouldn't work. Nobody would respect this document, this testimony at all. Everybody goes, yeah, you're right. This crowd's... So he's, Jesus is back in the area. So is the crowd. And you remember, it's a little different here. Remember, once there was a crowd so thick, the paralytic couldn't even get to Jesus. His friends are bringing him. The crowd won't let him in. This time, somehow, the crowd parts because somebody arrived. His name's Jairus. He's a synagogue ruler, which means he basically kind of administrates the local church of the area. And so in this very religious society, he's incredibly respected. He's a picture of authority. He comes, the crowd parts, and you see something you just wouldn't expect happen. One of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, seeing Jesus, do you see what he does? End of verse 22. He fell at his feet. What's going, what's going on for a synagogue ruler to bow before a carpenter? What happened? This is, this is not a normal occurrence. What happened? Well, he tells you. Jairus implores him earnestly, and you can just hear it. You can feel it, can't you? My little daughter is at the point of death. It's like he's saying she's on death's door. She's right here. So how's Jairus feeling? Why is he willing to bow the synagogue ruler? Why is he willing to bow before the carpenter? He's desperate. He's desperate. There's nowhere else to go. So I'm, I'm noticing something right here. Without this tragic occurrence in Jairus' life, you think he's bowing before the carpenter? Does God use some pretty horrible things sometimes to wake you up to your need so that you'll come to Jesus? So he begs that Jesus would come, and he must have been encouraged by Jesus' response. Because what does Jesus agree to? Well, let's go. If you would just touch my daughter, you're, you're my only hope. You're the only thing I have left. If you would just come, Jesus says, all right, let's go. Oh, there's some assurance there, some, some encouragement there. Another thought, if you, if you ask Jesus to come to you, will he come? It's a good chance. He's pretty merciful. Be desperate, ask him to come. But now we get an interruption. So Mark shows us a secret. Let's just imagine this was a movie and you could press pause right in the movie, okay? So we've got this scene. Uh, it'd be pretty interesting. The synagogue ruler, he's notable, he's respected. Jesus, the, the healing, teaching carpenter. Uh, will you come with me? He's going. And the crowd is swamping, right? And so you have this circus crowd walk into this guy's house and I assume they're not lollygagging. 
Because if I'm Jairus, I'm like, can we jog? Can we sprint? Let's go. It's urgent. And so you see, and if you're the crowd, don't you kind of want to watch? Let's go, the disciples. Let's go. Mark freezes the scene. And if you could just, if you just kind of just see this crazy picture, you know, it's like the Where's Waldo books or something. It's big crowd. And, and then you see, you see over here this, this lady trying to sneak in from the side. And maybe she's a little, little hunched over. Maybe if you got to zoom in, there would be stains on her robe. She, she sneaks in behind Jesus. And she can go unnoticed because the crowd's thick, they're distracted, they're marching towards this other event. And she, she reaches out behind Jesus and just tries to touch his cloak. And as she does that, two strange and amazing things happen. First strange and amazing thing, she knows she's healed. Because Mark gives some background, look at verses 25 to 27. She'd had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Don't know the details, don't need to. Some sort of terrible hemorrhaging constantly all the time. And later on, when Mark refers to her disease, English word disease down in verse 29, the Greek word there is, is uh, it's violent. It means like scourge or torment. It, it communicates not just suffering, but also shame, um, a horrible experience. Her disease had many terrible effects. You can see it. Number one, just the physical effect of being sick like this all the time for 12 years. Number two, you see she's lost everything. She's gone to all the doctors that she can find. She spent everything on them. They didn't help at all. They only caused more suffering. So not, not only is she sick, she's in poverty. Moreover, in this Jewish religious society, she is ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. So she cannot worship at the temple. She can't go to synagogue. No one wants to touch her. They will be unclean too. She is a social outcast. And so you can see why she's sneaking. She doesn't want to be noticed. So you understand, for her to touch people causes them severe societal inconvenience. They become unclean. For her to go and touch the teacher, that's a, that's a huge faux pas. That's taboo. Not only so, she's about to touch him kind of on the way to an emergency. And so if she gets exposed for doing this, powerfully frowned upon, shamed, rejected, disliked. So she does not want to be exposed, but she's taken the risk. She's taking the risk. And you see her thought process, verse 28. She said, even if I just touch his garments, I'll be made well. And so she reaches out. She does it. Verse 29, immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body she was healed of her disease. How fantastic. How fantastic for this woman. Wow. She's healed. But here's the second strange and amazing thing. Jesus stops everything. Verse 30, Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd. Who touched my garments? I imagine, imagine the responses 
What are we doing? We're marching to this girl who is at death's door. We're, we're marching. And Jesus says, hold up, and stops. What's the crowd thinking? Why, why are we stopping? I thought we were in a hurry. What is Jairus thinking? Please don't stop. Please don't stop. Even the disciples, you see what they're thinking. Look at verse 31. This is the first mockery of Jesus in this passage. His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, yet you say, who touched me? It's kind of funny. It's not super respectful. (laughs) Who touched me? What do you mean? Everyone's touching you. And and I think in context, the idea is, let's go. Let's go. Everyone else is in a panicked hurry. Jesus is not. His sense of timing is totally different. Everyone's in a panicked hurry. We want Jesus to be in a panicked hurry. He refuses. Because he's looking for the one no one wants to see. He's looking for the one no one notices. He's looking for the one everyone has forgotten. She's hopeless. She needs him. And she has done something that is irresistible to him. She has put her her faith in him. And as soon as that happens, he is there. He stops for her. That's what Jesus does. Isn't it just wonderful throughout these stories? I mean, Jesus makes this whole trip across the sea and back to meet the demoniac and heal him. A a dumpster fire of a man, everything broken, everything lost, totally undeserving. And Jesus goes to great lengths to find that man and restore him. And now the whole world is pushing to this one direction, and it's even a good direction, but Jesus says, stop for a moment. Verse 32, he looked around to see who had done it. Look at verse 33. You know, you're, again, we're, we're looking at people's responses to Jesus. It's never quite like we'd predict. You touch him, you're healed. I mean, what, what should you do? You should be like, hold on, everybody. I was sick and now I'm healed. Thank you, Jesus. And it's not what she's doing at all. What is she doing as soon as she touches him and she's healed? She's out. That's all she was hoping for. If I could just touch him, get healed, get out before everybody noticed, that's cool with me. Fine with me. I would prefer that. She was hoping to be healed and then be on her way. And Jesus won't let that happen. The woman, knowing what had happened to her, look, came in fear and trembling. There it is again. We're afraid of Jesus. She falls down before him, tells him the whole truth. Look what Jesus says in verse 34. It's one of my favorite parts of the whole Bible. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. 
and be healed of your disease. See, there's, there's something happened for her. There, there's something happening here. She calls out, she puts her faith in Jesus in some way. She calls out to Jesus, and he, if you will, shows up. He comes. He's there. And yet, he then begins to ask her for more than she really wanted to give. Hey, Jesus, will you just heal me? I'll be on my way. He seems that in his deeds, he says, yeah, I'll heal you, but you won't be on your way. She doesn't want to be noticed or exposed. And yet Jesus thinks she needs to. Look at what commentator James Edwards says here. Jesus is not content to dispatch a miracle. He wants to encounter a person. In the kingdom of God, miracle leads to meeting. Discipleship is not simply getting our needs met. I'll read that one more time. Discipleship is not simply getting our needs met. It is being in the presence of Jesus, being known by him and following him. Unable to evade Jesus' searching gaze, the woman fell at his feet, trembling with fear. At first, in a way, right, nothing is scarier than encountering the real Jesus and being known by him because you get exposed. His authority is terrifying. But in all these stories, the boat on the lake, the demoniac, sickness, yes, his authority is overwhelming, but even more so is his mercy. His mercy. He's so merciful, and he wants her to know three things in this statement. Number one, he wants her to know, it is not your touch of me that made you well. There's a little bit of a superstition here that if you just got the touch, and he wants her to know, it's not your touch that made you well. What was it? Your faith. Just trusting me, I made you well. Looking to me, trusting me, that connected you to me. You're mine and I'm yours. I made you well. This happened through faith. Second, go in peace. Go in peace. Through faith in him, she has peace. And in this, world, this word for healed can also be used to mean saved. Jesus does more than heal bodies. He saves and gives peace. He gives peace with God. Through faith in him, she has peace. And did you see what he called her? It's the only name she gets right here, and it's the best one, verse 34. And he said to her, daughter. Daughter. This is such a glorious picture in the Bible. This is, this is one thing that makes Christianity so different and so unique from anything else the world has ever seen. One of, one of my favorite sermons I ever, ever preached was in the middle of nowhere in India to a group of people of the lowest caste in this village. And man, if my friend wasn't there to get me there and get me back, I would still be lost there. I have no idea where this was. And it was the lowest caste there is, and that service was 90% women. And I got to preach this passage. Because here you see somebody that a culture has looked at and said, garbage. 
And the world loves to do that, doesn't it? Based on this distinction, that distinction, the culture looks at someone and says, garbage. And that's this woman's story. Outcast, untouchable, outsider, don't come near. She puts her faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the promised King of kings and Lord of lords. This nobody, by all human standards, puts her faith in him, and he has one name for her. And what does he call her? Daughter. That's an upgrade. <laughs> That's a, what a title. Loved. Welcomed. Treasured. Delighted in. You're a daughter because of your faith in me. Did she want to be exposed here? No, she did not. Did she need to be exposed here? Yes, she did. Because now Jesus' word defines her experience. I think that's a big deal. Jesus' word defines her experience. If she, if she just goes away with the healing, it's like, well, I touched him. I mean, she would definitely believe in his power. But there would be a little bit of a superstitious, uh, I'm lucky, I got in there and I grabbed it, Ooh, healed, I took off. And then in that community, I, mean, I guess over time, it's like, hey, I'm not sick anymore. But, but nothing strong was said, no identity given. But here now, she's been exposed, she was terrified of this, didn't want it, she needed it, and Jesus defined her experience. By faith, you have peace, you're a daughter. That's amazing. But, but look at this pattern, right? You come to Jesus, he's there. But he kind of asks you for more than you wanted to give. But then he gives you more than you ever expected. Do you see that? Well, that's a beautiful interruption, but we have to ask, was it all a mistake? Because Jesus, in a way, seems to have done this horribly wrong. Who do you treat first? The lady who's been a chronic illness for 12 years or the person who's about to die in five minutes? I mean, usually aren't you supposed to do the emergency first? It's a good practice most of the time. But Jesus seemed to got it back. He got it backwards. He... Presumably, she could have suffered for 12 more years, and he, I don't know, he had time. But this other one, there's no time, Jesus. Hurry. He seems to, to get it wrong, and, and now you get the worst fear in the test. Look at verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Imagine being Jairus. Your, your worst nightmare just came true, and now it's too late. It's too late. Your daughter's gone. And I was imagining how I'd feel. I tried to get to Jesus on time. I tried to hit him right when he came back off the lake. And I, I tried to get him to come to my house. And I was this close, and then he stopped. Why'd you stop? My efforts failed. The worst happened. My hope is gone. What can be done? It's over. Look what Jesus says to him, verse 36. Overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And I know you already heard the rest of the story, but you have to pause right here. 
Can you imagine how hard it was for this man to hear that in this moment? I mean, some of us, Jesus said this to us at a moment like that, you, you could be enraged at Jesus. Why did you stop? You're not that good. You're not that wise. Why did you stop? Or you can imagine him being embittered at Jesus. Who are you to tell me how, I feel, how to feel right now in this time of loss? I don't even know you, right? And I think this moment provides a picture of what Jesus so often does with all of us in a way. It's that same pattern. We ask him to come. He's come. We ask him for something, and he did not give it to us the way we asked for it. That ever happened to you? Just wait longer. And then in the middle of that deep disappointment, right in the middle of it, Jesus asks us for two seemingly impossible things. Do not fear. How? And then he says, just believe, which same way to say, trust me. Trust me. And the undertone, right? There are things I am doing and will do that you cannot see from your perspective right now. Jairus can't see it. I mean, we, we know what's going to happen, right? We heard, we heard the text, so I'm not, I'm not spoiling it for you. Jesus could have said, don't sweat it, bro. I'm going to raise her from the dead. He could have. What does he say? Don't fear. Trust me. Before you see how it all plays out, in the middle of your deep disappointment with my timing in your life, wow. Don't fear. Trust me. Amazing. And amazingly, Jairus does. He trusts him. And that takes us to scene four, the resolve. Jesus allows no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James. I think this is, I think this is beautiful about Jesus. He's not going to let the, he, he lets the crowd thing happen while he interacts with the lady. The crowd's kind of needed for that. But then, now, now we're going to go, now we're talking about a daddy and his little girl and a family, and, and he, sends every, he sends everybody home. You're not allowed to come. This is not a show. This is not a performance. I love Jesus for that. This is, this is not for PR, right? Verse 38, they come to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. Uh, interesting historical con context, it was common custom to hire mourners in the midst of grief. Even if you were poor, there's some documents to be like, you got, you got to hire a, a flutist and a, a yeller, you know? So <laughs> in a way, I, I can see the point. You're really sad? You call up 1-800- Man, let's be sad, you know? And like 10 people come over and just go, ah! Oh! <laughs> I mean, in a way, it's like, yeah. I can see how that would be enjoyable. That's how I feel. Let's scream and yell. 
clap our hands, beat our chest. That's, that's what they would do. So as a synagogue ruler, they're, they're here mourning as a community that his daughter has died. That's the right thing to do. It's terrible. It's horrible. It's awful. But Jesus, he's shocking us. Every single story, he's, he's doing things you're, you're not supposed to do. Verse 39, why are you making a commotion and weeping? Child's not dead, but sleeping. What are you supposed to do with that? In the Bible, and Jesus himself, often sleeping is used as a metaphor for death. Some, some scholars who I think are just way off the point of the text are like, no, she had just passed out. No, I mean, a group of mourners is there. They've seen dead people before. This is what they do. That, why do you think they laugh? What do they know? She's dead. She's dead. We've all seen it, a group of witnesses. She's dead. That's why we're mourning. And they, what else do they know? No one can beat death. We've heard of miracles before. Nobody can beat death. So they laugh at Jesus. Just another observation right here. Isn't it easy to get bitter and mock when we don't trust the power or goodness or the timing of Jesus? Anybody? Have you complained at the timing of Jesus in your life? Have you mocked him a little bit from the heart? You know, right? You're not good. I can't trust you. It's us right here. I see myself right here. And we see the same, the same pattern. Jairus came to Jesus. Did he come? Yeah. And then did Jesus ask Jairus for more than Jairus wanted to give? <laughs> yeah. But is Jairus about to receive more than he ever dreamed? Right here. He put them outside, took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went where the, in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Just another reminder, Mark's audience is Roman, so he's translating for them, Roman gent, uh, Gentiles. Verse 42, I mean, you, you, just, you envision this scene. Jesus won't let most people in. It's very private, very sensitive. And Jesus, he, he takes, look how gentle he is. And, and in English, it would be something like, hey, honey, it's time to wake up. And it looks exactly like a father waking his daughter up from an afternoon nap. And that's the point. Jesus is so powerful that if he's holding your hand, he awakens you from death just like a dad wakes his daughter up from a nap. That whole thing about her being asleep, that's what I would call biblical trash talk. Death, where is your sting? For those who belong to me, Jesus says, I can wake you up from death just like you wake somebody up from a nap. He has authority over sickness and death. And imagine, just one more time, imagine being Jairus. I don't even know. I don't even know how your emotions or your mind handle something like this. I guess... You're thinking, I mean, they're here, they're mourning, she's dead. You're looking at her body, she's dead. And then, then there's this just sliver of hope that would seem insane to you as Jesus walks in and you're just like, is it, could it be? 
Is it possible? He sits down, he holds her hand, he says a word, and your daughter gets up. Ah! And no wonder everybody's, everybody's freaking out, right? They're overcome with amazement. And still, Jesus is the only one with, you know, composure. Hey, make her some lunch. Okay? Make her some lunch. And then, and then it's another one of those verses. Seriously, he charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something. Yeah, don't tell, okay? That may be difficult for me. <laughs> but as Jesus continually... Uh, pushing and often unsuccessfully against excessive popular acclaim. The, the crowd chaos is in the way sometimes of his teaching. He, he stems it back in small ways throughout his ministry. But anyway, how's Jairus feeling now? Is he all right? Do not fear, just believe. How's Jairus feeling now? How do we respond? Let's revisit three important questions as we respond. Who is Jesus? Mark tells you in Mark 1.1, he's Christ. He's the Christ. He's God's promised king. He's the son of God. He's the eternal son of God who's taken on human nature. Mark tells us, then he shows us. Who has power over creation? Jesus. Who has power over the forces of evil? Jesus. Who has authority over sickness and even death? Jesus, do you see who he is? What did he come to do? That's a little tricky in this text. Did Jesus come to heal and resurrect his people? What do you think? Some teachers out there will, will take scriptures like these and say that they mean that if you would just put your faith in Jesus right now, you'll be healed right now. If you have faith, you won't be sick. I mean, Jesus said it, your faith has made you well, right? So if you put your faith in Jesus, you'll be well. There's a couple problems with that. Number one, try it. <laughs> Churches can get really nasty when they buy into this wholesale. Because that means if, you, if you're sick and you don't get well, you know why? You don't have any faith. Is that what Mark's saying? Is that even how it worked here? Didn't you see there was a timing issue in the whole story? Jairus put his faith in Jesus before his daughter was resurrected. It took a little bit. Now, we, we really misread Mark. We misread the Bible if we think the gospels function this way, that the miracles function this way. When we read Jesus doing miracles here, we are not to take that as if Always in our experience today, when we put faith in Jesus, we'll be healed like he healed people back then. No, that's wrong. That's not the expectation. The epistles where you get wisdom for the Christian life, they don't read that way at all. So what are we supposed to do with these things then? Well, what do the miracles show you? Number one, I hope it's plain as day. Jesus is the son of God. Do you have enough proof? I mean, look, he's the son of God. He's authority. But there's something else. It points you to the deeper healing. Why is there sickness and death? Right? There's a biological answer that's true. The scientific answer is helpful. It's not the only answer. 
It can, it can give you some kinds of knowledge, but a limited kind of knowledge. There's another reason. It's due to sin. The Bible tells us sickness and death entered the world due to our sin. We bought the lie that God's not good, his word's not true, and that if we really wanna be satisfied, we need to replace him with the authority of ourselves. When Adam fell like that, we fell with him. We rejected the author of life, that brought death. And think of all the varieties of death it brought, cosmic death. The world is subject to futility. Nature doesn't work exactly like it's supposed to. Physical death, what happens when you get old? You die. And worst of all, spiritual death. Alienated from God, hostile to God, no relationship with God, no fellowship with God, just deserving judgment from God. And so, so now we, we bore into the deep healing that you need, the real, the first resurrection that you need. Look what Jesus said he came to do, Mark 10, 33. We are going to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. See this time here before this, he healed this little girl, that's not the first time Jesus is gonna be mocked in the face of death. He's gonna be mocked on a cross and his mockers are gonna say things like, hey, you who did all these great things and save people, can't you save yourself? And because you're not saving yourself, obviously you're not the son of God because a son of God would never be on a cross. And yet again, Jesus' timing is somehow different. What does Jesus say will happen? They'll mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Why? Why did he come to die? Verse 45, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. And how fundamentally, most fundamentally, how does he serve you? How does he heal you? Give his life as a ransom for many. He bought you for himself on the cross when he shed his blood for you. Remember, we're seeing in these stories, Jesus will go to great lengths to win his people. He crossed the sea for the demoniac. He stops the crowd for this lady. And he went to a cross for all of us. Incredible. Look at how Peter says it. Probably the source for Mark's gospel. Look at how Peter says it. 1 Peter 2.24. Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. So what do you see first? You see substitution. Why is he on the cross? He's taking what you deserve. He's taking what I deserve. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might, what can happen now through faith in Jesus and his cross? That we might die to sin. Look, our hearts just got changed through faith in Christ and what he's done on the cross. No longer doubting God's goodness. No longer doubting God's word. No longer wanting to replace him. Instead, trusting him obeying him, following him. And then look at what Peter says. By his wounds, you have been healed. That's the healing. 
right there, a healed heart to belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ. So the miracles, they show you who Jesus is. They point you to the deeper healing. And of course, they show you what Jesus will bring when he returns. So if you belong to Jesus, which one of you one day are going to be healed of all your diseases? All of us. And it'll be fundamental because, you know, I hate to say it, but you, you know this already. What happened to the little girl that got resurrected? She got older, and then guess what happened? She died. What happened to the woman with the hemorrhaging problem? She got healed, and she lived happily ever after for a while. I don't know how long. And then what happened? She died. What's going to happen when Jesus comes back? Little girl, I say to you, arise. And we will, each one of us. Revelation 21, verse 3. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. Look, church, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. How do we respond to Jesus? Number one, realize your desperate need and come to him. Don't just look for your miracle. Come to be known by him, loved by him, come to follow him. Number two, trust him to save you from your sins through his perfect life, his death, on the cross, his resurrection. Number three, trust him to lead you. You're gonna ask Jesus to come to you. Do you think he will ask you sometimes for more than you wanted to give? Guaranteed. And what will he say to you right there? When his timing seems brutal, do not fear. Trust me. And like drivers, you won't see all that he's doing. But at some point, at some point, especially for sure, exact, uh, when he returns, isn't he going to come through for us in ways better than we ever dreamed? He will, because he's the son of God and he has authority over sickness and death. Let's pray. Jesus, who is like you? Nobody. So powerful, so merciful. We want to come to you by faith this morning. So I pray for anybody here who came in not yet a Christian or thinking about Christianity. I pray your Holy Spirit would just introduce them to Jesus Christ and they would see him, how unique and wonderful he is, and they would believe. Lord, I pray for those of us who are in that uh, gyrus moment when everything around us seems terrible and you just look us in the eyes and say, don't be afraid, trust me. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust your timing in our lives and know that you are good. We praise you, Lord Jesus, as the Son of God with all authority, who is so strong, but yet so incredibly merciful, always coming to those who put their faith in you, always coming through for those who put their faith in you. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. 
and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.